We're back in Daniel. We've been off for uh, six, seven weeks. Last time we met, we were in Daniel 3 and looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and really seeing the importance of uh, not being a coward when persecution comes. We've had a We've had a pretty easy ride in this country for a couple of hundred years. But that's all shifting, and it's all changing, and it's all turning. I, I read a few weeks ago that in the country of Nigeria, just one country in Africa, 2,400 Christians in the past 12 months have been martyred for their faith in Christ. 2,400. 2,400 grieving families. 24, and that's not to mention the young girls that have been kidnapped and raped and the churches that have been burned. There, there is a rebellion against the Lord all, all over the world and against his gospel. This past year, and I'm sure you took some time, here we are on January 5th, 2021. So we did get through 2020. That, that seemed to be uh, up for grabs for a while. But we're through it, and I'm sure you did what I did. Sometime around New Year's Eve, maybe that day, or maybe the next day, you took some time to uh, think about the past year and to evaluate. So a year ago, a year ago, where were you in life? What were you thinking about the future? What were your primary goals? What did you hope to accomplish? James 4 says in verse 13, and we're not going to be in James 4. We're going to be in Daniel 4. But a lot of times I like to take a back road to the primary passage. Just kind of, you ever take a back road just to see what's there? Sure, makes life interesting. So here's a back road on the way to Daniel 4. Put this in the context of 12 months ago in your life. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. That's a pretty good plan. You probably had some real good plans that were pleasing to you. Next verse. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is sin. Uh, there's, there's a lot of meat in those verses. 
But one of the primary things that stands out is the primary importance of if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. We're in Daniel 4 tonight. We were in Daniel 3 uh, last time we met, so it's kind of logical we'd be in Daniel 4. Met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they stood up, refused to bow to the idol. Uh, they were a, a, a great model of, of how to be courageous, of how to face adversity. Uh, they knew that it was the Lord's will that they not bow down to the idol. You shall not have, you shall not have any gods before me. God said. So the Lord was first, and that was tested. And then we move into Daniel 4, and you know, the scripture to me is so amazingly relevant. Daniel is a book that speaks with with incredible laser-like intensity into the situations that we find ourselves in right now that we didn't see coming 12 months ago. But we're in it. And we can look back as to how Daniel and his three friends navigated a complete upheaval in their lives and in the, lives, in the life of their nation and how the Lord's hand was upon them. And it's a good place, it's a good place in the scriptures to be studying right now. So in Daniel 4, there is a truth that is a very relevant truth for us. And in Daniel 4, that truth is stated three times. Three times. It has, this truth that is stated three times has great relevance for us today and tomorrow. Now, the reason it has such relevance for us today is that there is an election going on in Georgia that has significant ramifications for the future of the nation. Tomorrow, there is a meeting of Congress and decisions will be made in regard to the Electoral College and certification of the votes. In, in light of where we are and where we have been this year and what's gone on in this election, past presidential election, that continues to linger and smolder and all kinds of things. With that, there is some anxiety. And it's not clear where we're going. It's not clear what the future of the nation is, and it's just not clear. 
That's why Daniel 4 is so important. So I'm going to give you four things tonight. First, a quick overview of Daniel 4. Second, the relevant truth for us today and tomorrow. Third, the future looks grim, hyphen, why? Uh, fourth, the importance of not panicking and being strong and courageous. Let's look at the overview real quick of, of Daniel 4, and then secondly, we'll go to the relevant truth that is stated three times for us today and tomorrow. So first, here's the overview of Daniel 4. Uh, Mitchell Chase, in his commentary on Daniel, he has just a one-paragraph overview. Let me just quote it. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that no one but Daniel can interpret. A tree grows to great height and provides food and shade for animals. Yet a command is given for it to be chopped down to a stump. That's in the opening verses of, of Daniel 4. The lesson of the dream concerns God's rule over earthly kings and kingdoms. Uh, in, in fact, the book of Daniel is all about God's rule over earthly kings and kingdoms for all time. Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Nebuchadnezzar is the tree of the dream. And God will humble him if he does not repent and practice righteousness. God fulfills the dream by giving him the mind and behavior of a beast. Once God restores Nebuchadnezzar's faculties, the king praises God and declares his unconquerable sovereign power. Kind of what happens in uh, Daniel 4, in a sense, is that uh, it is, you know, in the old days, what are the old days? Uh, back before I was old, when I was young, I remember... Every once in a while, you'd have, uh, someone would stand up and give a testimony, maybe on a Wednesday night service or a Sunday night service. You know, it was a little more low-key, a little more relaxed, and, uh, or, you know, as part of a baptismal service, before someone was baptized, they would give a brief testimony of how they came to know the Lord. Uh, Daniel 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony because uh, he had a complete change in Daniel 4. He's not the same man at the end of Daniel 4 as he is at the beginning because he was humbled greatly and he repented. Uh, that, that's, that's the guts of Daniel chapter 4. He was uh, actually given the mind of an animal for seven years, that was part of the dream. And when 
And when Daniel uh, heard the dream and the interpretation was clear to him, Daniel was appalled because he said, this is about you, O king. If you don't humble yourself before the Lord, you think you're great. Uh, He was the greatest king. He was the most powerful king. Babylon was the most powerful nation. But if you don't humble yourself and give glory to God, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be given the mind of an animal, and you will graze with the Angus on the Babylonian tollway off to the right with that farm that is not sold out to the corporate interest. And uh, as people drive to and fro work, they will see you out there with grass and juice on your face. And you will have no idea what's going on because your reason will be taken from you. And a year later, as he was, he he heard that, probably thought about it, forgot about it. A year later, he is uh, walking around Babylon, the great city, and saying to himself, look what I have done, look what I have built, look what I have made. And a voice comes out of heaven and it says, sovereignty has been removed from you. And his reason was taken from him. So for the next seven years, he's out there with the Angus. And then his reason returns to him because God gave it to him. And now he's repentant, he's humbled, and he's calling out to God and giving glory to God. Remarkable story. It's not a true story, of course. Someone called me recently and asked me about a Bible commentary that uh, a friend had recommended. Have you ever heard of this commentary? No. I said, tell me, who who is the, uh, it was on four different books in the Bible, and uh, it was part of a set. I said, so who's the general editor? And they, it was someone I'd never heard of. I said, well, who who are the, do they have the contributing authors? And she started reading names. I'd never heard of them. I said, who's the publisher? And here's the publisher. I said, yeah. I think you might want to stay away from that. Uh, that's uh, the reason I said you might want to stay away from that is that we live in an age of liberal, quote unquote, Christianity, which actually doesn't exist. Uh, we live in an age of progressive Christianity where you stand over the Bible and you decide what you're going to take and what you're not going to accept. It's kind of like a buffet after church on Sunday where you're going through a line, and I'll take a little of that. No, I don't want any of that. No, I don't want any of that. You can't do that with the Word of God. Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, it happened. It's history. Secondly, let's go to the relevant truth for today that was stated three times. We're going to find it in Daniel 4, beginning with, um, beginning with verse 17, And then we'll find it again stated in verses 25 and 26. And then we'll find it again in verse 32. And as soon as I read it, you're going to see how it has ramifications for us today and tomorrow. So Daniel 4, verse 17, just to pick up a little context, I'll I'll look at verse 16. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him, seven years. 
The sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, of the angels. In order that the living may know, now watch this. Here's the pertinent, relevant truth for us. In order that the living may know, may know. Everybody in Daniel's dead. We're alive. We're the living. We need to know this. Know what? That the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. I'd say that's fairly relevant. As we're figuring out what's going to happen, who's going to be in charge, what's the direction of the nation moving forward, that, that produces a lot of angst, a lot of uh, uh, surfing on the web. Uh, it produces a lot of concern, not only for your life and your future, but uh, your children, your grandkids. Where are we going? Uh, and, and especially in light of the fact that uh, we've, we've had, it's just, you know, this is fascinating what's going on in this country. The division is incredible. And it's, now there's always been division, but it has intensified. It used to be that in, in Christian families, when it came to issues um, concerning the country, usually within a Christian home, generally speaking, there was consensus. You get together for Thanksgiving, and you know there's always a, a, a weird uncle who, um, you know, has issues. And uh, but but generally speaking, if you've got a, a family, and generally speaking, they're they've got a they fear the Lord. There wasn't division in a family. Uh, doesn't mean you couldn't have Republicans and Democrats, but years and years ago, they all kind of wanted the same thing, generally speaking. They were for the Constitution. They were for freedom. They were for religious liberty. I mean, you know, and so a Republican guy, a Democrat guy, would go off and fight and die in World War II. Because they believe the essentials, they believe basically the same things. That's no longer true. So even families are divided over this stuff. Um, and then we see the, the videotape of the elections and the, and the trucks pulling in and the suitcases under the table and and even on your screen, they play it over and over, the vote count, watch it, watch it, watch it, and, and it just changes. Well, amazingly, there are quite a few who say, well, that's not evidence. I, I mean, I, I, I watched some of that, and I thought, well, that's pretty good evidence. But others say, well, that's not any evidence at all, because there's great division. Uh, and that's what causes us a lot of angst and causes us a lot of concern because um, if indeed there's fraud, if there's fraud where you work, if there's fraud with the bank that you bank with, if there's fraud, it's not right, because somebody's stealing. Uh, factor all that in. You vote, people were voting today in Georgia. 
I vote, I've often said it's a great country. You can vote early. You can vote often in this country. You can vote if you're dead. Uh, you, can, you can vote if you don't exist. I mean, you can, uh, you, you know the drill. And that's frustrating. And, but, 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 but here is the truth that calms our heart in the midst of all of this tri- in the midst of all of this turbulence it's in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes when many of the new testament epistles were written they were written under that roman emperor who was such a kind and gentle soul and favorable to Christianity. You remember him, Nero. Nero, uh, his favorite hobby was persecuting Christians. His favorite hobby was barbecuing and roasting and slow cooking Christians, tying them up in uh, animal skins and then throwing them on the floor of the Colosseum and then loosing the lions to eat them. He, he, was, uh, he was a sociopath. He was a psychopath. He was wicked. He was evil. And God put him in there. God raises up rulers. God sets them down. We've looked at this before, but if you flip to Daniel 2 and verse 20, the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, no one could interpret it Uh, Same thing is true in Daniel 4, only Daniel could interpret it. And Daniel and his three friends prayed and asked the Lord, give us the interpretation. The king wanted them to, he wasn't going to tell them the dream. Tell me what I dreamt. Tell me what was in my mind when I had this dream. And the Lord revealed it to them. So verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. What the man dreamt. Then Daniel blessed the Lord God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs, the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. So it is important for us to understand, as we're quite frankly, if you're not careful, you can get consumed by this, that yes, we vote, yes, there's this, yes, but... It is he who rules over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes. It's also found, that same truth is found in chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Um, In this section, Daniel is giving him the interpretation. Let's pick up the 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. Let me just stop right there. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He, he was in charge of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. But note what that verse just said. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. You're the most powerful man on the face of the earth. You're high but he is most high. Can't ever forget that. 
There are people in high places that are making decisions. And especially right now, we're, we're looking at uh, we're, we're, the, the adage of Lord Acton, power corrupts absolutely, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at uh, tyrants who love power, who are hypocrites, and their hypocrisy is, is evident to all. They are above the law, yet they love to set the law. That's just hypocrisy. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you, here you go, here it is again, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. So however this election of 2020 sorts out, it is according to the will of God. Sometimes you get an Abraham Lincoln. Sometimes you get a George Washington. Sometimes you get a Nero. Sometimes you get a Hitler or a Stalin or a Pol Pot or others I could mention. That is under the control of Almighty God. And the only thing that gives peace when there's great disruption in a nation is the fact that God is in control and God is sovereign. Um, I, I seem to say that a lot. The reason I say it a lot is that I see it in the Bible a lot. And if you miss that, you may be a Christian, but you're in for a hard life. A life of anxiety, a life of fear, a life of depression, a life of uh, always looking over your shoulder, what's going to happen next? You're lacking in peace. You're lacking in joy. You're lacking in uh, optimism. You're, you're lacking in um, a calm spirit. You're lacking in stability. You're all over the map emotionally. Why? Because you're a practical atheist even though you're a Christian. If you don't believe that God is sovereign and in absolute control and calling the shots, you ought to be a nervous wreck. But indeed, he is sovereign and he is in charge and he is in control. And then you see it again in verse 32. And what we have here, beginning with verse 28, this is a year later after Daniel told him the interpretation. Uh, and We'll pick up at 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the, of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power, and the glory of my majesty. 
while the word was still in the king's mouth, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over to over you. Here it is again. Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. So over the last week, <laughs> I've, been, I've been working on this passage. And a couple times Mary has said to me, so what are you going to say to those guys? to encourage them. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to give them those three statements out of Daniel 4. Because they're true and because they have great ramifications and because they're true, they, they give great stability to those who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about God's sovereignty before. God is always at work. God is always, God is not distant. You know, we hear that, the talk about a lot of the founding fathers, or a certain amount of the founding fathers were actually deist. They believed in God, but they believed he was like the great clockmaker who made the clock and then wound it up and then put it aside and has no involvement with the clock whatsoever. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of sovereignty. He's a God of, pro of, of providence. He's involved in all the details, all the details of life. Um, everything you can imagine, everything you can think of, he is in control, he is in charge. He is in charge, as one of the, I think it's the Heidelberg Catechism says, of leaf and blade on your plants, your grass, the heavens, the universe. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. The world doesn't fall apart because of Christ. He's the glue. He's got a plan for the ages. It's more exact than an atomic clock. In the second half of Daniel, he tells Daniel what's going to happen in the last days. And he's, he's very clear. We're rapidly, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to the Father in Acts chapter 1. Um, but we're getting closer to the return. It, it's all mapped out. It's all sketched out. It's a very exact and detailed plan it's more, and the timing is impeccable. We're, we're right where the plan says we should be. It's appointed that we're alive right now. It's appointed that we live in this nation. That's appointed for your children, for your grandchildren. You're right where you need to be. This is not, not a mistake. This is not an accident. This is not, you got a bad luck of the draw here. No, this is the plan of God. And he wants us to have a peace and a stability. And um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, of cowardice, but that of power and love and sound thinking. 
Are things going to change? Have things changed? Yeah. But who changes the seasons and the epics? God does, according to Daniel 2. If there's a change, he's behind it because he's involved in the details. I love this stuff. I mean, I love it because it keeps me sane and it gives me joy and it gives me hope. The older I get, I didn't used to, I, when I was, once again, I used to be young and I didn't understand why my grand, I, I didn't understand my, my grandmother, I didn't understand necessarily my grandfather. They, when they would talk about heaven and they get tears in their eyes. I mean, shoot, I just wanted to get my driver's license. I remember one time, this is absolutely true, on a Sunday night after church, we were going over to have dessert at some friend's house. And uh, my dad had a 56 Buick century. It was white with that gray on the side. Cool looking car. And I'm in the back seat and I'm bouncing around on the back seat because America used to be free. <laughs> and no seat belts, metal dashboard. And I'm in the back seat and I got my hands up. There's my dad, there's my mom. And uh, I'm just, you know, what am I? I don't know, seven, eight years old. And the pastor had been talking about the fact that Jesus was going to come back. And in the twinkling of an eye, we'd be taken up. And I, I'm just, I'm in the back, I'm seven, eight, I just, I'm just juiced. You know, you're juiced all the time when you're a little boy. But I'm just, you know, and I'm asking my dad. I said, so dad, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And he said, well, nobody knows, Steve. And uh, I said, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you think it's going to be like, like right away, dad? He goes, well, it could be. It could be. It may be a long time. We don't know. We just don't know. And then I said to him, I said, you know, Dad, you know, honestly, I don't want him to come back until I get my driver's license. <laughs> I, remember, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Because it was the biggest thing in my life. Now I got a driver's license. I've had it a while. I don't tear up when I think about a driver's license. But I'll tell you what, sometimes I go outside before I go to bed, and I look up at the stars, and I look at the moon. I walk out, the sun's coming out. That's the greater light that rules by day. Then at night, there's the moon, which is the lesser light that rules by night, Genesis says. He made those things. And in that same passage, Genesis, just as a throwaway line, it says, and he made the stars. Oh, yeah, stars. No big deal. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's working. And I've said this before, but th this, is a, this is an encouragement. When we talk about his sovereignty, and, and we're in all this upheaval. We've got all this anxiety. Where's this thing going? What's going to happen? Okay. God works three ways in our lives. Number one, he works sovereignly. He's in every detail. 
Nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing can thwart his plan. He raises up kings. He sets them down. He has all wisdom. He has all power. He's absolutely, totally, completely in charge. Satan cannot bother you. Satan cannot afflict you without getting permission from the Father. He is not equal to God. He is a created angel. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're sovereign. So God is, God is, when God works sovereignly in my life and in your life, secondly, God works strangely in my life. This is a time right now, especially if it goes the way. So half the country wants this thing, this election to go this way, half the country wants it to go that way. Whatever happens, somebody's gonna be upset. And if it goes the way you're a believer and it goes the way that you don't think makes sense, you're going to have some questions for God. And it could go the way you don't want it to go. It very well could go that way. And, and whenever things don't go the way that we think they should go, we get upset at God and we question God. God does work strangely. And he has told us up front that we will not understand his ways. Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. In other words, he's not going to work the way that we think he ought to work. He's not going to do your life the way that you think he ought to do it. Proverbs 16, there is a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is destruction. Earlier in Proverbs, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So the Lord, you look back over your life, he's interrupted your life, he has uh, blindsided your life, he has stunned you, he has shocked you. I don't know about you, but I've had disappointments. You've had disappointments. I will say this, the greatest things that have ever happened to me in my life have come out of the greatest disappointments. Because God knows better than I do. And those disappointments, when they hit me and they hit hard, I was struggling. I don't understand why you're doing this. That's because I'm, an, I'm a finite human. But he is almighty God. And if he says no to something, it's because he's got something better in mind. That's how it works. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't understand this, Lord. Of course we don't. Of course we don't understand it. So we trust. We trust in his goodness, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Just roll with it. Just absorb it. You might have some grief. You might have some significant loss. In fact, you, you've had and you probably will again. That's life. But you roll with it and you get under the authority. 
Job, when, he was, when everything was taken from Job, he tore his, his robes and he worshipped. And he said, the, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, thirdly, God works slowly. So God works sovereignly. God works... Um, Strangely, God works slowly. We're in a rough, when we're in a rough stretch, when we're in a season of affliction, when we're, we're in a season in the wilderness, we just want out. Uh, and we'll pray, Lord, just get me out of this. And sometimes what he does, he, he, he leaves us in. We're into microwave solutions. God's into crockpot solutions. You can put a chicken in a microwave and it'll cook pretty fast. But you can also put a chicken in a crock pot before you leave for work and then come back 10 hours later. They'll both get cooked. Is there a difference between the two birds, the microwave bird and the crock pot? Yeah. The one that comes out of the crock pot is so tender, you can hardly get it out without it falling apart. And a lot of times, when God has us in a hard stretch, and we just want out, we want just the microwave solution, just get me out, he's going to have me in that uh, crock pot's right on the front. They admit it. It says, slow cooker. It even reads slow. You're going to be in there a while. But when you come out, you'll be a better man coming out than you were going in because he has tenderized your heart. He has uh, tenderized that hard heart, that resistant heart. He's, he's tenderized that self-will. That's what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. And we become malleable. And we, and we bow the knee. And we say, not my will, but thine be done. The, the third point that we need to face, and now we can face it, because we, 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 we've got it under our feet. We're on, we're on firm ground here that God is sovereign and God is in charge. Uh, I read this statement recently. When life feels out of control, it is good to celebrate the authority of God. I really like that statement. We're living in a world and we're living in a culture that is an absolute rebellion to the authority of God. You saw it the other day in the, uh, in the opening prayer at the house. The representatives. Now, that's what you call blasphemy. Absolute insanity and blasphemy. But it's indicative of where we are as, as a nation, where we are as a country, where the world is. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is about the rebellion of all the kings, of all the nations, of all the rulers. And it says, 
the Lord laughs. He just laughs. It's so utterly ridiculous. They think they're in charge. They think they're in control. They think they're going to live forever. They think there'll be no repercussions. They think God doesn't see, but he does see. And there will be a day of reckoning. If you were with us last year, in January, last January, in this Bible study, I, I got up here on the first meeting of January 2020, and I said, well, we're going to study Psalms, which was a little nuts because there's 150 Psalms. And we don't meet every week. We, we meet about seven months out of the year. By the time I get to 150, the 150th Psalm, I'd be dead. Uh, but I just, I, I just, and all I can tell you was, as I was praying about what we should do, I just, I had this compulsion to start at Psalm 1 and start teaching. So I did. And uh, we got to Psalm 9. Some of you guys remember this. We got to Psalm 9 in early March. Psalm 9 is about God judges the nations. And I got halfway through it, and I'm standing right here, and I got halfway through it, and I said, so what we'll do is we'll finish this up next time we meet. I was thinking that would be next Wednesday night. It turned out to be a Tuesday night, six and a half months later. What happened? Uh, God decided to judge the nations. That's what happened. So the third point in this outline is the future looks grim. Why? Well, you pretty much know why. I, I came across something from John MacArthur. He does a blog, but he doesn't do it a lot. I read it the other day, and, and it was so good, I thought, I'm going to read this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he nails this thing. He says, we're living in bizarre times. The world is caught in the grip of fear, fears over deadly diseases, financial ruin, unchecked violence, government overreach, and political upheaval. For the last several months, much of America has been on fire, both figuratively and literally. Our lives are essentially dominated by chaos and confusion as we careen from one emergency to the next. We shudder to think how Society could degrade into further corruption, darkness, and disarray, and yet the world keeps finding new lows to which it too willingly sinks. Should the Lord tarry, we might eventually look back at 2020 as the good old days. On top of the endless chaos surrounding us, our society is drowning in a sea of lies, such uh, that the culture is permeated by a sense of devastating insecurity. We no longer have confidence in politicians, health experts, social activists, academics, or the media. All of them have lost credibility by pursuing agendas over honesty. Even religious leaders have shown a knack for doublespeak and outright deception when it suits their purposes. We've been lied to so routinely that we treat every claim as dubious. Living in the, that constant state of doubt and suspicion is both exhausting and exasperating. Then he turns to the book of Isaiah, and he said, Israel was headed towards a devastating divine judgment. 
Through Isaiah, God provided some specific indictments about the sins that put them on this purifying trajectory. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Isaiah 5.20. In their rebellion against God, Israel had flipped morality on its head. Their opposition to the Lord had turned their view of truth, righteousness, and virtue upside down. That is, in essence, the nature of fallen humanity. It is to believe lies, to overturn right and wrong, and to replace God's holy standard with a flawed and feeble one of its own design. Does that sound familiar? He asked. Much like Israel in Isaiah's day, we are living in another historic manifestation of the corrupting, perverting influence of sin. We're watching the same upending of morality happen every day with the hearty applause of a rebellious culture fully convinced of its own merit and virtue. He nailed it. That's the United States. That's the world right now. And then I came across this from Tim Challies, an article that he wrote called Reveling in Wrath. Reveling in Wrath. Uh, I'll quote a few paragraphs here. Because these two things together pretty much summarize where we are and where we're going and why the future looks grim. In Romans 1, Paul teaches that it is God who actively restrains human evil. Nothing but his kind and gracious hand of restraint keeps humanity from falling deeper and deeper into the darkest depravity. Without God's active restraint, humanity would accept, practice, and rejoice in every kind of evil. Yet there is a limit to God's restraint. When human beings prove that they are utterly hell-bent on sinning, when they fight tooth and nail against God's restraining grace, he begins to release his hand. He begins to give them what they want, even though what they want will destroy them. God releasing his hand of restraint is God extending his hand of judgment. That's why you see the process in Romans 1.18 where he gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is for God to give you what you want when you're not in alliance with him. So God gave them over. By the way, I got another paragraph, but here's a parenthesis. Why was Daniel and his friends, why were they in Babylon and not in Judah? Oh, because Nebuchadnezzar had come, you say, and had conquered them and had taken them. And you're sort of right. But here's what it says in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hand. In fact, in another passage of Scripture, before this happened, God said to Jehoiakim, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you would not listen. 
That's chilling. So they were given over. Challies goes on and says, many scholars employ here a metaphor of a boat near shore in a swiftly flowing river. God's hand of restraint on humanity is like a hand holding the rope that keeps the boat from being swept downstream to destruction. But as humanity continues to rebel, God eventually gives them what they want. He gives them the freedom to sin in the ways they long to. Yet this freedom is actually their punishment. Their freedom is an expression of this wrath because it only takes them farther from him and closer to destruction. He loosens his grip on the rope. He shoves it off from shore. Douglas Moo, a New Testament scholar, says, the meaning of hand over or given over demands that we give God an active role as the initiator of the process. God does not simply let the boat go. He gives it a push downstream. Like a judge who hands over a prisoner to the punishment his crimes have earned, God hands over the sinner to the terrible cycle of ever-increasing sin. That's true for individuals. It's true for nations. God raises up nations, and he sets them down. Um, Not too long ago, I quoted from Cal Thomas's book, America's Expiration Date, And in this book, he looks at a number of different cultures who rose and fell. Really, the tipping point is 250 years. And it doesn't mean a nation ceases to exist, as Thomas points out. It just means that they lose the influence, that they lose the the power, that they lose the preeminence How's this all going to shake out in, in Georgia? How's this presidential election going to shake out? Well, we don't know. But we do know this. Whoever winds up in the presidency, they are there by the decree of Almighty God. And we may not understand it. We may not like it. It may not be what we were hoping for or expecting, and we may, we may struggle deeply. But where we have to come out in order to have any effectiveness in our lives spiritually, and may I say this to you, as Christian men, we need to be effective spiritually in terms of influence for Christ and what's going on around us. For those we love, for those in our families, for those who don't know the Lord that are in our sphere of influence, we need to have stability, we need to have calm, we need to have peace, we need to have discernment, we need to have some joy, we need to uh, be optimistic, even as there could be great loss of things that we have always had. Which leads me to the fourth point. And that fourth point is simply this. Our responsibility is not to panic, but to be strong and courageous. The the greatest definition of faith I've ever heard, and I've quoted it many times in this Bible study, is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
Faith is a refusal to panic. That was based on that incident in the New Testament where Jesus had been healing people right and left all day long. He got into the boat with the disciples. He was exhausted. They launch across, and he goes to sleep. And a storm begins to come up, and, you know, those guys, Peter, was on that Sea of Galilee every day of his life. He'd seen a lot of storms, but it got more intense, winds like he'd never seen. Uh, they thought the boat was going to break up. They, they thought they would drown. I mean, this was a storm like they had never seen before. They were stunned. They were shocked. They were fearful. And they begin to panic, and Jesus is asleep. You ever have that happen to you? You're in the worst situation of your life, and it seems like he's not cognizant of it. And in their panic and in their fear, they woke him up, and they said to him, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, well, what's the answer to that? Of course he cares. Did they know that he cared? Yeah, they knew. But they weren't thinking. They were running off sheer emotion and fear. It's on the back of every hotel room with multi-stories in America. You shut the door and it says, in case of fire, don't what? Panic. Because if you panic, you're not thinking straight. Don't panic. Read this little map. Here's where you are. There's the exit. Is there smoke? Is there this? Is there this? Read this. Think about it. Process it. Don't panic. Faith is a refusal to panic. And they said, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus got up. He looked at the storm. He spoke to it, and it was instantaneously calm and quiet. Boom. Boom. Just like that. Now, who are they afraid of? They're afraid of him. Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey his voice. It's God Almighty, who is our Savior and who is our Lord, and is our sustainer and our sovereign defender and our provider. The most looked up Bible verse in 2020 on the internet, what do you think it was? What would you guess? It's in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 41, 41, 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. New American Standard says, do not anxiously look about you. I will strengthen you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and love and sound thinking. To Joshua, as he was going to take the people, take the leadership from Moses, take them into the promised land and take on the ites, these powerful, powerful people who are the Old Testament equivalent of the, the tech giants. They had iron 
chariots, which Israel didn't have. They were advanced in warfare. They, had, they were outnumbered. They were outmanned. And God says to him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And here's how I'll finish. Let's go to Joshua 1. This, is, this, this, this would be our marching orders if indeed the Lord lets go of the rope and we find ourselves dealing with things and experiencing things in this country that we've never seen before. Joshua 1 is going to be bedrock. Verse 7, only be strong, actually verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. They're outnumbered, they're outmanned. They're, they're, the power on the other side is, is beyond comprehension. Only be strong and very courageous. Watch this. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right nor to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what do we do? We just keep showing up every day. Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own. I, I'd, I'd make a suggestion to you. I get up in the morning, I get my coffee, and I open my Bible. The sum of thy word is truth. I need to hear from God first thing. Why? Because I'm going to be lied to for the rest of the day. I need to know what he says, I need to be reminded, and I need to drill it into my mind as I head out the door. And then what I do is, I don't play games, I don't live a double life, I don't veer from the right or to the left, but I obey it. And when I fall short, I confess the sin immediately and I repent of it. And I turn to him, because I want to be walking in sync. I want his hand of favor. He said in Psalm 32, after David repented, he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in place. So happy new year. And I really mean that because he's in charge. He's calling the shots. And we're in the palm of his hand. So, Father, we thank you for this truth. Encourage us with these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.